This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Many of you know, if you've been around for the last couple months anyway, you, you probably know that right after Thanksgiving, Jay Phillips and I took his, uh, went down to, we drove down to Beaufort, South Carolina. South Carolina, it's Beaufort, North Carolina, it's Beaufort. And uh, we saw both on this trip. But we started in Beaufort, South Carolina on his 36-foot sailboat to bring it back up this way. And we, we sailed for a few days, got as far as Ocracoke Island. And I was, it was Jay and me and his dog, and his dog has way more sailing experience than I ever had, you know. He would have done much better letting a dog steer the boat. But, uh, but because we sailed both day and night a good part of the trip, he needed some, some he needed a co-pilot. And I volunteered, and he, I think he kind of looked around and said, really? And, um, and, and I, was, I was what he got stuck with. So we drove down, got on the boat in, in uh, Beaufort, and, um, and, and set sail. Um, modern sailing, by the way, we, he, he is such a trusting guy because he did let me steer the boat. And in, in fact, when we got out, took off out of the harbor there in Beaufort, he says, you want to drive the boat? And uh, I'd never done that before, you know, and I said, sure. And he, and he kind of gave me some instructions how to do it. And here's what I discovered. Modern uh, sailing has adapted uh, good use of technology, and so there, you know, as, as I was at the helm of the boat, there beside me uh, was a, um, a tablet, a little computer device, and, and, uh, and, and it was set with a, a GPS. And with a, that, that system, we were able to watch exactly where our boat was on the trip. I mean exactly where it was. In the Intracoastal Waterway, if you've ever been on that or seen that, sometimes it's very small canals. Sometimes you're going through a great big sound or bay. But that was a big help most of the time for keeping the boat in the channel and off the shallows. I will tell you, I'll just confess to you, that I did run the boat aground twice. <laughs> One time wasn't my fault. It was my captain who said, do this. And I did that and went, Kunk, you know. Um, fortunately, we were... We were able to keep going eventually. And, um, uh, but with the GPS and, and, and what you have there, you set the course, you follow the markers that are there on the screen and in the, in the channel, they coincide, and you watch the screen, which also tells you the water's depth. And I, know, I knew how much we needed underneath of that boat to not run aground. And, and so you watch all of that. It was fascinating. His boat also has an auto, autopilot and you tell it which direction you want to go on the compass, and it goes that direction, and uh, just self-corrects everything. Well, th- that first afternoon, we, we uh, sailed out of an inlet. I, maybe it was the second afternoon. We sailed out of an inlet in South Carolina, out into the ocean, out to the Gulf Stream, and to pick up speed and make a little bit better time, and we sailed up th- that night through the night to the coast of North Carolina, came in at the Cape Fear River, and then got back on the intracoastal waterway. But that, that afternoon, we got out to the ocean, and, uh, and as, as the sun was going down, Jay set the coordinates for the boat where he wanted to go through the night, and, uh, and we went downstairs and went to sleep. And uh, the boat just steered itself and stayed on course. About every 30 minutes, one of us, usually it was Jay, would get up and, uh, and, and climb up top, 
and look out just to make sure there wasn't a great big freighter or something right in front of us, a big light tower or something, that there weren't any lights, you know, that we were headed towards so we didn't wreck the boat. Um, but we get up and take a peek and then go back down and, and, uh, and go to sleep. And we woke up in the morning and, and got up in the morning and looked, and there's the coast. And we were heading back in toward the coast, and it was, it was really amazing. It, it, it helped a whole lot. We came inshore. We trekked up the intracoastal waterway that morning, still using our eyes along with the GPS. Uh, and we came up the coast of North Carolina, Wrightsville Beach, and all those little beach towns and uh, through Camp Lejeune. I actually saw the beach where I used to go to when I was a little boy in Onslow County and, and, uh, and, and got into the, to the sound there that separates the, the Emerald Isle and so forth from the mainland. And, and we're going up there and, and just past... Uh, just past Swansboro, as we started to head toward toward uh, Beaufort, uh, North Carolina, uh, a fog set in. And I mean, it was one of those fogs that's thick as pea soup fogs, you know. And, and, uh, and I was steering the boat. Could not see from me to the back of this room, you know, in front of the boat. And it was that thick. And... Um, you know, and you got a channel there that you got to stay in because you don't want to get in the shallow water. So I am steering the boat through this fog, watching that screen, turning where I need to turn and doing so forth, looking at the, at the GPS and said, okay, there's a channel marker right there. And there it was. You know, I couldn't see it up till that point. It was an amazing tool. And it, took, it allowed someone like me who was a total novice doing that kind of thing to follow the chart, to stay on the course, and to keep, we didn't run into, we didn't go aground. I didn't run into another boat. I didn't run into a marker. We, and then all of a sudden, we came out of the fog right where we were supposed to be. It was, it was pretty amazing uh, to do that. I was behind the wheel, trusting in the GPS, and it worked. Now, a lot of you have GPS in your cars, and, and I've done that as well on trips. I, I don't, uh, Gail and I went on a trip coast to coast a few years ago. Some of you remember that. And, and, and Seth Harris loaned us his GPS. And uh, frankly, you know how we are, guys? I, I'm this way. I don't know. I'm not going to ask you guys if you're this way too. But one of the things I can't deal with is that with the GPS, it had a female voice. And there's always a woman telling me which way to turn. And I said, Gil, see if you can find it. She found a man's voice, and so I dealt with that a little bit better. <laughs> but what a GPS, a global positioning system. Okay, I didn't know what it stood for, sucker, or what it stood for. I wasn't sure. A global positioning system device sends a signal to a satellite that's somewhere up there in space, and somehow that satellite takes your signal and it beams back to your device. It knows where to send it right back to your device, and shows you on a screen exactly where you are. It's fascinating. What about us as Christians? We're here starting a brand new year. You know what? None of us have been farther in 2014 than January 5. And now we're just a few minutes from being halfway through this day. We haven't gone, we don't know what's ahead, do we? We don't know where the channel markers are. We don't know where the, the low ground is, where we might run ashore. We don't know where there are things coming at us that we need to avoid. We know nothing about what's, it's like in the fog, if you will. But God's charted a course for you and for me 
and I believe for Nag said, church, how do we know the direction God wants for us to go as individuals or as a church? What shows us the way? And I believe God has two infallible resources. Both of them, they work together, and through both of them, God can keep you and me on course, keep us from going off track. Now, one of those resources, I hope you hold in your hand in your lap right now this morning, it's the Bible. The Bible is God's perfect word. And in it, we discover his will for our lives. It is our chart. It is our map. Years ago, back in the late 80s, mid-80s, I, I played and sang in a little bluegrass group. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And bluegrass music has, to, has some interesting songs. You know, and, and when it comes to Christian gospel bluegrass, you know, a life is like a mountain railroad, you know, with an engineer that's brave. You know, and, 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 and that, that's a great song about staying on track and about the engineer who is the Lord. Um, there's another song that we sang that uh, it, says, it says, I'm using my Bible as a road map, you know. And uh, we did that song. The Bible's our map. The Bible's our chart. The Bible shows us which way to go. And we need to listen to what the Bible says. We've got to read it, but we need to listen to it. And, and here's some verses that illustrate that. Read this one with me out of Psalm 119, verse 105. Read this verse. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Yeah. If, if I'm going through the fog, if I'm going in the dark, there's your word, God. It shines light on my path. It shines light on my feet so I can see where my next step is. God doesn't give you this, this massive spotlight to show you what's a mile ahead, but he does give you enough so that you can stay, take a step at a time and know what's on the path, what's on the journey. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, that's everything between Genesis and Revelation here, all scripture is given by, is inspired by God and is profitable for several things. It's good for several things. For teaching, for rebuking, that means telling me when I've taken a wrong turn, for correcting, showing me how to get back on the path, and for, for training in righteousness, how to stay on the path. God's word is good for all of that. Why? So that the man or woman of God, that's all of us here today who are believers, may be complete Equipped for every good work. The psalmist again in Psalm 119. By the way, 119 in the Psalms is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's also, if you kind of go right exactly to the middle of your Bible, it's right there. And it's a chapter all about the word of God. Well, the psalmist asks the question, how can a young person stay pure? And I would say that would apply to us old people as well. How do we stay pure in our lives? How do we do what God wants in our lives? And he gives the answer, by obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you, he's speaking to God. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think that is about memorizing scripture. I've hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. That's our first resource to keep us on the, on the course, keep us on the chart, help us go the right way. The word of God. There's a second. You don't hold it in your hands. You hold it if you're a believer in Christ. You hold him in your hearts. He's the Holy Spirit. Living within you is the Holy Spirit, which tells me God is never far from me. He's always within me. 
He's always living within us, and he has a purpose for being, several purposes for being there, really. One of those purposes, Jesus said in John 16, 13 to his disciples, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. His, his purpose in being, living in me is to guide me into truth, not into error. From our series that we concluded uh, last month in Acts, we know that he came to indwell us and to empower the church, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, and he came to stay. Our task as believers, this God's spirit, he lives inside of me. Our task is to follow his lead. Go where he leads us. Allow him to lead us. Follow his lead. Don't argue with him. Don't ignore his voice as he leads us. But follow. And sometimes he speaks to us in the still, small voice, just a whisper. So we have to be listening. And if I'm not listening and I'm allowing the, the, the sounds of the world to overpower my ability to hear him, if he speaks in a whisper, I might miss it. Got to be listening to him as well as he speaks. How does he speak? Primarily through this. So they work together. The Spirit of God, the Word of God. Two simple mechanisms that God's given to steer us, to take us on this journey in the coming year. But what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of elaborate a little bit and make some really make this really practical and share some how-tos that, that apply to us as individuals, as Christians but also as a church seeking to be God's people, all right? So if you're taking notes, jot these things down. First of all, let God determine your experiences. And the flip side of that coin is, and I'm going to talk about that, don't let your experiences determine your God. Let God, as he guides you through life, let him bring you to the experiences he knows you need in life. And we don't always need positive experiences. Sometimes we need rough times to sharpen us and, to, and to, to make us more like Christ. But don't let your experiences determine your God. What do you mean by that? And, that? and that's not something that only those outside of Christ do. Christians do it often as well. Within, within every one of us and within all of our reach is the temptation to form our own theology. Theology is a word that means the doctrine of God, if you will. And all of us have the temptation to form our own theology, our belief system in God. And by the way, everybody in this room, everybody in this world has a theology of some kind. Even those who say there is no God, they're atheists, that's their theology, isn't it? Their theology says no God. So God, and what we often do is we will, we, and, and some people who are atheists, this is why they've done it. Some people are Christians. They form their theology this way too, based on our experiences, whether good or bad. Golly, God, I can't believe that you don't love me anymore. Because something bad's gone on in your life. God, you must not love me anymore. You have just made a theological statement that is in error based on how you responded to that experience. Don't let your experiences 
determine your God or your theology. Let God determine your experiences. So what happens when we do that is, is we, God becomes what we make him, and we try to take God and fit him into our box full of experiences. By the way, God doesn't fit in anybody's box. I think we need to know that. And when we do that, we try to fit God based on our experiences. We make God who I understand him to be. You ever hear people say, well, this is how I understand God. When we, when we have that kind of theology, that becomes really a form of idolatry. We don't have the right to make God what we understand him to be. God is, get this, God is who God is. Whether I understand him or not, God is who God is. And he's revealed himself in scripture. And what we need to be, instead of basing everything on our experiences, is we need to be people of the book and just discover who God is from who he says he is. When then we, when our experiences want to invent in our minds something about him that we think better fits us, we'll know because we spent time in the word, we'll know we're headed down a path that will only lead to confusion, will only cause our boat to get, run aground, to get us off the course, and cause confusion and frustration within ourselves with the God we've created. God, the Bible says, is not, this is 1 Corinthians 14, God's not the author of confusion. He wants us to be clear as we can be. What we're not clear about, he wants us to trust in him. My worldview, your worldview, and our, we, our worldview is tested just about every day. If you ever watch the news, listen to the news, it will test your worldview. How I respond to what's happening around me is based on my worldview. And here's what I'm saying this morning, church. My worldview, our worldview needs to be fashioned by this book. One of the Apostle Paul's prophecies, I think, is coming very true. He warned in the last days, he said, people are going to, they would rather hear teaching that is coached in pop psychology and positive thinking rather than the truth, because the truth often offends us. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. They, won't, they don't want sound teaching but according to their own desires. Tell me what makes me feel good about myself. According to their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. And there's a lot of myths out there today. All right, secondly, put Christ first above all else. Christ first above all else. What does that mean? What, what, what do we know about Christ? We know his mission was to seek and to save the lost, don't we? That needs to be my mission too. Christ was a man, the Bible says, of truth. He was a man of grace. I should be the same. Christ cared for the hungry and he cared for the poor. He loved the children. I should be the same if Christ in my life is above all else. He died and he rose from the grave to save us and then he ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. So above all others, he alone is worthy of my honor and my, my, my servant, uh, my submission. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 2, he said, there's coming a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he belongs at the top. 
of my life, first above all else. Colossians 1.18 tells us he is also, Jesus is also the head of the body, the church. Here at Nagset Church, he's the head of this church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, meaning he's the inheritor of all this planet. It belongs to him. So that he might come to have what? First place in how much? Everything. You think about everything for a minute. What everything includes in your life. Everything. That he might have first place in everything. And, and, and here's the fact. Uh, here's, you know, I, I shouldn't, I, I don't need to tell you this because you're a smart crowd. I can tell by looking at you this morning. You slept in. You're, you're, the, you're the smart ones. But here, here's the thing about first place in everything. There can only be one first place in my life. There's not, you know, we, maybe there's one, and you might have one B and one C, but there can only be one at the top. Only one first place. And this is about our growing personal relationship with him. This is about getting my priorities in line. For example, I, I've got some financial decisions to make this year. You do too, probably, but I know I do. When making those decisions, I need to ask, okay, is Christ at the top of my list? Will my choices honor him? Put Christ first above all else. The next model, Christ likeness. If Christ is first in your life above all else, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start becoming like him. You're going to begin to model his life. As you spend time in his word, you'll get to know him in a deeper way. He's there. He reveals himself to us through the pages of scripture. And you'll find out, we'll find out what it means to be a servant by looking at Jesus. We'll find out what it means that it's not about me. We'll find out what it means to be humble. We'll find out what it means to be willing to sacrifice if that's what it takes. When we become Jesus, by the way, Two things are going to happen. You'll see this in your life. If he becomes first in your life and you start living in a way that models Christ's likeness, these two things will happen. Number one, some people will be attracted to him from your witness. They'll see the changes that are happening in your life and say, hey, what's going on? I heard an interview on the radio the other day, on Christian radio, and, and this fellow who's Jewish was talking about his life, and the fellow who was interviewing him said, well, how did you become a believer in Jesus as your Messiah. And he said, because I had some friends who were Christians and I saw what was going on in their lives and I said, whatever it is that you have, I want that too. And he trusted Christ. Some people will be attracted. The second thing is true, however, as well. Some will be repelled away from him by our witness. Not everybody's going to be pleased with your life. Some people are going to reject because you're going to have to say, there's some things I just cannot do. You know, and people are not going to understand. They're not going to like that. They're going to think, oh, you're holier than me. You think you're better than me. And that's going to repel some people. But you need to understand that's going to happen. It's happened ever since Christ's time. You have to be willing to let that happen. You just don't have to make repelling others your goal. Be winsome. Those who are seeking him will see him in you and will want to know, how can I know him too? Put Christ above all else. Model Christ likeness. Then I love this next one. Love his bride. Love his bride. Every married man, 
it, it kind of it kind of puffs us up a little bit, makes it, makes us think we're better than we are. When someone come maybe comes over to our home and there's maybe on a wall, I, we've got one in our house, um, a picture, a, a bridal portrait of Gail when she was in her wedding gown, you know, and people come in, and and every man knows what it's like for some from somebody else to come in and see that picture and look at that picture and say about his wife, what a beautiful bride. You know, we all go, yeah. Like, we had something to do with it, you know. By the way, I saw something a couple weeks ago, guys, that said, when you start complaining about your wife's choices, remember that you're one of them, okay? Love Christ's bride. Why? The church is the bride of Christ. We are his bride. Paul in Ephesians 5 writes this. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of water by the word. Why did he do that? He did that to present the church to himself. Picture a a wedding ceremony here. He did that to present the church to himself in splendor. You go to a big wedding and there's splendor. You know, the bride begins to enter and everyone stands. And everyone, the focus, nobody cares what the groom looks like. It's all about the bride. So that he could present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless, can you imagine going to a wedding ceremony and the bride comes, and, her, and it looks like she slept in her wedding dress, you know? She looks like her hair looks like bedhead, you know what I mean? And, and, and there's a big coffee stain down the front. You would go, good night. That's not what it's supposed to be. He wants to present us to himself like that in, in that perfect adornment. His goal for it is to present us church together in heaven in splendor like a bride adorned for her wedding. Much of that presentation then will have to do with how we treat the church now, the bride. Jesus said, for example, the world will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. A lot of people quote that verse and said, they'll know we're his disciples by our love. That cuts it off. It's, they want to see how do we love each other. Why? Because we've been pulled together in this body called the church, and we got to get along. That's why your marriage is a picture of Jesus' love for the church, and how you get along as husband and wife says to the world how Jesus loves us. The world will know that, how we love one another, and by one another he means those in his family, his bride. I, lo- I talked to so many people in, in, out in the community and in, in the world who were brought up in a church, and maybe they still attend the church, but they only do so out of obligation. Maybe they stopped attending church a long time ago. And to them, when they, and I hear their comments from, when they see someone, not me, please understand, a lot of people think the only reason I do what I do is because I get a paycheck for it. They don't stop and think, maybe he really believes this stuff too, you know. 
But they look around and they see you out in the world talking about your church and loving your church and the positive things that are going on in your life and you're thanking God for your church and the worship that we have and all that. And they're kind of scratching their heads going, what? I never heard of such a thing. And some of them will say, I think I need to go check that out. It shows up in our conversations about our church fellowship. When we see parents neglecting children out in the world, don't, don't you doubt their love? You read some of the stuff that happens in the news that parents are doing to their kids, and you stop and say, there's no love there, and rightly so. When we see husbands spending more times with their buddies than with their wives, we tend to doubt that guy's love for his wife. If, if we neglect the bride of Christ, what does it say about our love for her? I mean, you want to insult somebody, go up to a guy and say, man, your wife is the ugliest thing I have ever seen. You might get one of those knockout punches, you know? You don't talk about my wife. I can be as ugly as you want to make me, but don't talk about my wife. When we talk negatively about the bride of Christ, how does Jesus respond? Think about it. Love is bride. Let's, this year, let's prove to Christ and to the watching world our love for one another. Let's move on. Earn the right to be heard. A, a, a conversation popped up last week on Facebook with a friend of mine asking, she was asking this to all of her friends, but then she tagged me in this question. And she, had, she said, you know, I'm trying to reach out to an elderly man. He's sick. Uh, he's in the nursing home. And he's an atheist. And I've been trying to reach him with the gospel. And she had talked with him and tried to talk with him about Jesus Christ and about faith in Christ. And he responded this way, that's nothing but a fairy tale. And she wondered on her post there if maybe a pastor should visit this fellow and convince him to believe, Rick Lawrenson. <laughs> Here's my reply to her. I think you've done wonderful things for him already. Your words will have greater impact than any stranger, including a pastor, could have because he knows you and because he knows you care. Continue to stop by and love on him and pray that the Lord opens his heart. You see, we earn the right to be heard by investing in others. Talk with Jay and Alicia about this. This is what their whole ministry is about. By investing in people's lives and earning the right to be heard. One of the negative results of people becoming involved in the church, and we have, a lot, we have some new believers here who just became Christians this past year, and you've gotten involved in so many things, and that's so exciting to see you grow and learn and discover life in Christ. But one of the negative parts of people being involved in the church is our tendency to begin to pull away from those who don't yet know Christ. And when we pull away from those who don't yet know Christ, we can't earn the right to be heard. We have to learn this year, church, to be better at being bridge builders. And as we build friendships with men and women who are not yet believers, and we demonstrate, without being preachy, how to 
how, to, how Christ is the answer to, to our lives and the needs that we have. We're earning the right from them to be heard. This no longer is a society where we can walk up to strangers, cold turkey, people we've never seen before, and, and say, hey, you're going to heaven or hell? I can help you find out. You know, most people are going to say, look, I didn't give you permission to talk with me about that. 40 or 50 years ago, you could do that, but it was a different time. Today is different. Earn the right to be heard. Here's one way we can earn the right to be heard. Some of you need to pick up your toes right now, including me. I'm getting mine up in the air. Earn the right to be heard by your behavior on social media. Last week, I posted several good articles on our church page about this, encouraging us in 2014 to do better. Why it does no good for the cause of Christ to stand on our soapboxes. Let me encourage all of us to stop and think and pray for the Spirit to lead us before we open our mouths. Some of you have the same weakness in your life that I do. I want to blurt it out. I'll tell them the truth. Well, on Facebook, they can't always tell if I'm loving them with that truth or if I'm trying to beat their head in with a baseball bat. Let's pray that before we hit the keyboards, that God's Spirit guides us with the right things to say or maybe not to say. See, when we get testy or we get preachy, we only come across as arrogant and self-righteous. Jesus said for us to be harmless as doves, wise as serpents, and earn the right when the right time comes to be heard by those who need to hear. Now, let me wrap this up with a few thoughts. Nags Head Church, and some of you, this is your first time here. Some of you, maybe you're checking us out. Some of you are partners here in this, in this church family. We exist to help all of us grow into becoming Christ's followers. We're all part of this together as we seek to take whatever for each one of us are our next steps this year to being disciples and being disciple makers. So in 2014, let me tell you that Nagsa Church is more committed than ever to building disciples. This is what we're going to be focusing on so much. We want to stay balanced in all of our purposes, but one is out of balance. And we're going to try to right the ship, if you will. Building disciples who live and breathe and take his gospel to across the world and across the street. First, our commitment to Christ. Let me just let you know, 2014, our commitment to Christ and his word will remain constant. We will not, I can assure you, our elders stand strong together in this. We will not do any backpedaling here when it comes to teaching and proclaiming the Bible. All over this country, churches and ministries are caving into political correctness. We will not. When you come here, our commitment to you is you will hear the truth of the word of God as clearly as we can make it. One priority for us this year is a fresh new face on our discipleship strategy. Starting this month in our connection groups, we're beginning a brand new study called Starting Point. Eventually, it's going to be something that as we start new groups and new folks come into the church, they'll all go through this 10-week study together but, and it's a group study. We didn't come up with it. It's put together by Andy Stanley and his team at North Point Church uh, in Atlanta. And it's a perfect follow-up from our New Testament study we did back in the fall. 
And it's going to show us how we have a place in the story that God continues to write in our lives. And if you're not in a group, a connection group, one of our small groups, group info is at the Welcome Center. Uh, Right now we have, I think, 17 groups of adults meeting throughout the week in different places, different times. One of those hopefully will meet your needs. But more than ever, this year in 2014, our connection groups will take the lead in building disciples. And the study is just one of our first steps. Our old NHCU, our series of five classes, is being revamped and going to be in a whole different format, replaced with some small group studies that you're going to be doing this year and next year. And for the first three Sundays, or the three Sundays starting two weeks from today, I should say, I'm going to actually be taking what is, our, what is becoming our new Discovering Nagsay Church class. It's going to be a 90-minute class. I'm going to take in those three Sundays and break it down into three parts and teach the class on Sunday morning so that if you come those three Sundays, you will have gone through that new class. And if you're not a partner in our church, you will have taken a big step to being one if that's what you want to do. We're always looking for new ways to impact our community. I've asked Nathan one of the things I want to see happen this year. I want to see it happen last year, but Nathan wasn't able to be with us for much of the year. I said, this year, let's take the loft, and in the summertime, let's craft, let's put together, let's formulate some kind of a coffee house music ministry that meets up there maybe once a week and, and attracts people to come and hear music, and, and we have an opportunity to share the gospel. So we're looking at doing that as something new. Uh, many of the things that we've been doing in the past, like a room in the end, by the way, we do that again, the end of this month. Um, our outreach to Colony Ridge, the nursing home, our Hukilau surf camps, Operation Backpack, our Patriot Day luncheon. A lot of the things that we've been doing, we will continue uh, to do, but we're still looking for more ways, maybe through your connection groups, to show our community the grace of God. And one of the ways that we have failed in the last few years in our church, one of the areas that I hope this year, I'm praying this year, something new is created here to reach out to the 20-something culture in our community, those who are between the ages of of 19 and 30, and and do some things to pull them in and reach out to them. We're hoping this year to develop uh, the ability to stream our worship gatherings on the web. Right now you can go to our podcast and you can listen to audio to our messages. We want to take it a step farther and also add videos so that Stan and Sandy Annenby in Borneo can watch Nags Head Church live if they want to. You know, so anybody around the world can do so. We'll be doing some, some things through our website and through social media to improve how we communicate. And we even hope those outlines that you get every Sunday, we hope to do some things. We're going to change that up and make that better as well um, with some more information for you. Last year... 2013 was for, for this church was in so many ways um, a comeback year. We had plateaued, seemed like, for, for two or three years and, and were struggling on a number of things. And sometime back in the spring, I can't put my finger on the day, but God lit a new fire under us and he stoked it. It began to burn brightly. And I believe God wants that fire and that momentum to continue and, he, and, 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 to, and to grow. And the ability to do these things that we're talking about and to reach our community to achieve these dreams, I want you to understand this. This is what I want you to leave with today. It's only possible if we all do our part. That's how it happens. 
What's our part? It's my part to serve. It's my part to give as I'm able. It's my part to be a leader, to be a follower. It's my part to invest in the lives of others and invite them to join us. And you may be all already doing your part, and so many of you are. In fact, you, so many of you are doing so well that we gave you the Sunday off last week to say thank you. But maybe you have been one of those that's been standing on the sidelines kind of as an observer. Maybe you haven't figured out yet what your part is. So this morning, what I'm hoping that we leave with today is a crowd of those willing to say, Rick, God, I will do whatever it takes to do my part this year. That's what I want to do. So here's what I want you to do. You're not as slow as the last crowd. I had to kind of Prime the pump a little bit more for them. I want you right now, if you are willing to say, Rick, I may not know what it is, but this year, 2014, this first Sunday of the year, I want to say to the Lord, I'm willing to do my part. What I want you to do is right now reach out and take a communication card. Just go ahead. I see some movement. That's good. That's healthy. Somebody asked me the other day, do you ever have people fall asleep when you're preaching? And I say, yeah, and a lot of them have their eyes open. You know? <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> Take out a communication card and at the, write your information on the front and on the back page, the back side at the bottom in the space that's there, I want you to write these words. I'm willing to do my part in 2014. That's all you need to write. You don't need to tell us what it is. I'm willing to do my part in 2014. You may not be a partner here, you may not know what that part will be, but you're willing to say, I'll, God, help me. With the help of his spirit and his word, I'm willing to do my part this year. Then drop that card in the baskets. There's a basket there on that table. There's baskets at the Welcome Center. As you leave today, drop that card in one of the baskets. Say, God, this is, I'm, I'm ready. I think this can be an amazing year, revolutionary year in so many ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I always look forward to the start of a new year, and it's a good time, Father, to look back and, and say, okay, God, where, where do we need to do better? And we praise you, Father, for what you've done in our church in the last year, in the last years. But we know, God, you're not finished yet. We know there's more to be done. There are still people within a stone's throw of this building who need Jesus Christ, who are across the street from us in our neighborhoods, who are in the next office from us at work, who sit beside us in class, who need Jesus Christ. And we want to, God, this year more than ever before, love you, love others, and reach this world. So I pray, God, for a mighty army to rise up here, for a mighty band of missionaries, of servants, modeling Christ, following you in your word, making disciples, believing that you can change not only people's lives, you can change our world. Let it start right here today. In Jesus' name I pray. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.com.
www.thepeopleofgod.org.